this is Steve with Life Worth Living. You know, a lot of people think that Christians are religious people. Well, the reality is they shouldn't be. Um, We actually want to be unreligious Christians, people who don't fall into religiosity. And and what what is religion? Well, religion is, is trying to put on airs or to project a certain image of yourself and being so concerned and consumed with what people think about you and what you look like and what you act like and what you talk like that you forget the very purpose of Jesus, which is he wants to fix the inside of you. And when the inside of you is fixed, then the outside will fall in line with what is going on the inside of you. So we want to be unreligious Christians. So look at this with me today and and let's see what an unreligious Christian looks like. Today, last week we were talking, we were reading through Acts, and we were in Acts 10, and we, we read the story about Cornelius and Peter. And if you weren't there, um, you can always listen to the recording. But Peter uh, was had this strange experience where he was brought in to talk to this Roman centurion, an army guy, military guy. And uh, man, that centurion was hungry for God. And so, but the problem was, is the centurion was a Roman. And Peter was a Jew, and the Jews were told, "Don't associate with people that aren't with, that aren't Jewish, especially with Romans." And what happened is Peter went to this guy's house. He talked to the guy and his family and all his friends that were there in his house, and the whole crowd got saved. What does what does "got saved" mean? Do you know what "got saved" means? That means Jesus saved their lives, and they had an experience with God. And God wants you. To have an experience with him. Did you know that? He wants you to experience him. He wants you to be friends close. He wants, he wants to be your savior. He wants to help you with your problems. And, and so Cornelius had an experience with God. Well, here's Peter, who's a Jew, is now you're going to find he's going to get called on the carpet for, for interacting with Gentiles, non-Jewish people. All right, we're going to see this. This story that we're going to look at today in Acts 11 is, is about that. And the point that I want to see if we can make today is that religion can get in the way of your relationship with God. Did you know that? That sounds kind of counterintuitive. That sounds a little squirrely. What? You're telling me I thought religion brought me closer to God, and I'm here to tell you that religion can actually get in the way of you getting close to God. How is that? How is that possible? Well, when we, fall, when we fall into traditions doing the same thing over and over and over again, they lose their meaning. Did you just look at your own life? If you do something over and over again and you don't think about what you're doing, it loses its meaning and you become dis- disconnected from the very thing that you're trying to be connected from. And religion can get in the way of you and God. I remember once, I'll I'll give you a religious experience that I had. I was driving to work. I was on I-10. I was getting close to the the executive exit, about to get off, uh, going to work. And I found myself praying, but not thinking about what I was praying about. I was just saying the same words over and over and over again. And I felt God tell me, Steve, what are you doing? What are you doing? 
You're not talking to me. If you're talking to me, this is not conversation. All you're doing is saying the same words over and over again. Can you imagine if I get on a date? I took my wife on a date. We sat down at the restaurant, and I looked her in the face, and I said, Tina, I'm going to tell you that I love you a hundred times straight. Here it goes. I love you. 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 There's no meaning in that. Repetitive words to God is insulting to God. Did you know that? In fact, the Bible talks about it. Jesus said, stop your babbling. I think that was the word that he used in one of the verses of the Bible. Stop babbling to God and start talking to God. We don't want religion to get in the way of our relationship with God. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So here's Peter, who's interacted with Gentiles. And now the church that he's a part of takes a religious position and says, Ah, oh, Peter, why did you do that? So, so bear with me, and let's go through the story. So the apostles and the believers, the apostles were the leaders of the church at that time, and the believers, that's the Christians, throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also, the non-Jewish folks, had received the word of God. You'd think they'd be happy, right? <laughs> You'd think they'd be joyful. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, that's where the, the main church was located at that point, the circumcised believers, and let's take a pause here just really quick. Did the Bible just say circumcised believers? <laughs> what, what did that mean, or what does that mean? And, and where that comes from is going all the way back to Abraham, the father of the Jewish nations, God told him that a sign in his body <laughs> was going to be circumcision. From that point on, Jews were to be circumcised, and they embraced that as part of their religion. That was something that showed that they were different. And so the Jews, when they talked about themselves, they talked about themselves as the set apart because of circumcision. And so it says here, the circumcised believers, in other words, the Christians who were Jews and clung to Jewish beliefs and traditions, all right? It says they criticized Peter for what he did. They criticized him, and they went on to kind of grill him and put him on the spot and say, why did you go into a Gentile's house? Why did you break our Jewish traditions? But let's pause there just for a second. You know, we don't want to be those that are always emphasizing external legalism. Now I want you to look at how I'm dressed today, all right? I don't have a suit. I don't have a religious frock or anything. Uh, my shirt is untucked today. I hope that doesn't offend anybody, all right? If it does, you might be borderline religious. <laughs> you might be hung up on external things, and external things, my friends, are meaningless to God. Thank God that God doesn't care if you're bald or if you have long hair or short hair or colored hair or no hair. It doesn't, that doesn't mean anything to God. The way you dress doesn't mean anything to God. In fact, Jesus said what he cared about was the heart. What he cared about was what was inside of you. And you see, we've got to be really careful with religious externalism because God doesn't care about the outside. He cares about the inside. He cares about the inside. And so they criticized him. Look at these words. They criticized him. And that's exactly what religion does. It criticizes and it condemns. It rips you up, tears you down, and spits you out. If we're not careful. I don't want that. 
I want true Bible-based Christianity, and I think all of us do as well. I think we're all desirous. We're hungry for the real God, the God who loves us, the God who takes care of us, and also the God who confronts us. Did you know God gets in your face sometimes and says, whoa, time out. You are going in the wrong direction. I want a relationship with God, and I want for you to have a relationship with God as well. They criticized him, and here's what they said. Here, can you imagine? Here's this guy. No good deed ever goes unpunished. Did you know that? You do something good, you're going to get whipped for it. <laughs> so make sure that you're doing things for the right reasons, not to get people's approbation, but because it's just the right thing to do. All right, so they get him on the stand. I'm sure they're all sitting out there, and, and here he is up here, and they say, explain to us what happened. You, Peter, you went into the house of uncircumcised men, of Gentile men, and you even ate with them. You loser. <laughs> they didn't say that, but I bet that's what they thought. And, and you know what they were saying? They were saying, Peter, look what you did. And if you think about the condemning thoughts that go through your head, the regrets that you have, they're always those thoughts. Look what you did. That is not God talking to you whenever you hear that. <laughs> God doesn't, he doesn't say that. Now, he's going to use your, your bad mistakes to teach you so that you don't do it again. But God isn't there saying, look what you did. In fact, it reminds me of, uh, what's the guy's name again? Kevin, Kevin. All right, Kevin on, on Home Alone. All right, at Christmas, we always watch the, the Home Alone series. It's just part of a Christmas tradition, all right? But it, does, it hasn't lost its meaning. We just love watching it. All right, and it's like Uncle Frank saying, look what you've done, you little jerk. <laughs> you watch the movie? That's what religion does, is constantly trying to rip us down, tear us down, and condemn us. All right, so let's read on in verse 4. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. And I, I, I get so much out of the Bible, and you can too. Whenever I look at this, I, I just had to pause. And again, these little blue scripts that you see are, are my thoughts that come as I'm reading the Bible. As I'm journalizing, I'm here one morning. I'm just Picture me at 6.30 in the morning. I've gotten up. I've, I've made Tina some coffee. I sit down with my Bible, and it's my Bible. I use my phone, all right? I use my computer. I, I, I rarely open up a printed version anymore. But I get on, I, I have, um, what is it called? Oh, what's the app called? Anyways, I get on an online like OneNote or something like that, and I just start writing my thoughts down. I journalize. And then, since it's on my phone, I can look at it all day long. I bring back up my thoughts that I read this morning and just kind of go over my head and think about them as I'm going around, going about the day. Evernote, that's the, that's the app that I use. So I use Evernote, and, and I have it there. And so I wrote this down. I thought, everyone deserves an explanation. Everyone deserves an explanation. And I'll never forget this guy at work. He worked for me. He reported to me. And this poor guy, he would explain things that I asked him, and then I would forget what he told me. His name was Joe. He's a good friend of mine. And I would go back into his office, and I said, Joe, tell me again, what did you, what did you tell me? What was the explanation of this, this thing that you were working on? He would explain it to me two times. Poor me. I don't retain anything. I forget what he tells. I'm in there a third and a fourth time, and Joe very patiently, as if he's explaining it to me for the first time, explains it over and over again. And I'm telling you, 
Everyone deserves an explanation, even if they're putting you on the stand and trying to blame you. Look at Peter. He patiently explains the whole situation without pushing back, without getting defensive, without getting angry. Everyone deserves an explanation. I'm going to go down a little bit more of a rabbit trail, just a little bit more here. Your kids deserve an explanation. Your kids actually don't ever do this. Well, I'm your dad. I'm your mom. Do you do what I tell you what to do? Period. No. Sit down and explain to them why. It makes all the difference in the world when kids understand why they're told what to do. Oh, I get it. Hey, dad, you know what? You might actually be right this time. <laughs> All right. And so Peter, he patiently explains. He goes through the whole story. In fact, the verse four, it says he starts from the beginning and told them the whole story. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because we did that last Sunday. We don't need to rehearse the, the, the whole story. But he tells about his prayer time, how these people show up at his house. He goes with them. And and then look at this. I'm skipping all the way down to verse 12. It says, Peter says, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, told me to have no hesitation to go with them. And these six brothers also went with me. And I can just picture Peter's brought, he didn't go by himself. (laughs) He didn't go to the centurion's house by himself. And he certainly didn't go to Jerusalem by himself. He brought some witnesses with him. Some people with him. And, and what I get from this, it's interesting, is you need, and I need, we all need to surround ourselves with good people. And I'm going to use a term here, and I didn't write it up here necessarily. I say unreligious people. I want to say you need to surround yourself with unreligious Christians. Unreligious Christians. What a, what's an unreligious Christian? It's somebody that's not going to throw you under the bus Whenever you mess up, that's an unreligious Christian. They're not going to look at how you're dressed or how you, you know, do things. There might be a little quirky or different. No, they're with you heart and soul. They're a true friend, and they're not worried about externals. They're, they're a soulmate with you. They care about you. And Peter had, fortunately, six people with him that fit the bill. They were that kind of person. They were unreligious Christians. And he told us, um, he goes on with a story. Um, he, uh, the centurion had told Peter how an angel had appeared to him and had said, hey, send for, for Peter to come talk to you. And so as I began to speak, I'm in verse 15 now. Peter says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us in the beginning. Back in Acts 2, all the Christians were praying. There was 120 of them. And it says the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And thousands of people came to Jesus that day as a result of it. Thousands of people, 3,000 to be exact. And I'm going to tell you something. You can't argue with results. You can't argue with results. There's been many times when I've heard of of someone says, hey, this happened to me or that happened to me. And I'm there scratching my head and wondering, did that really happen that way? But you know what? You can't argue with results. If there's a changed life and it happened in kind of an odd or weird fashion, if their life has changed, God did it, period. You can't argue with results in people's lives. If you look at somebody, if you're looking at somebody, you've lived with them for a long time, maybe you're married to them or whatever, and you look at that person, you say, something's happened in that person's life. They're changing. What is, what's going on? Or you look at your, your own life, you say, I'm changing. I'm telling you, you can't argue with the results. <laughs> it's God. 
You know, you give him all the credit. He's the one that's doing it. And so then in verse 16, he says, Then I remembered what the Lord had said to me. John baptized with water. See, Jesus was remembering when Jesus was on the earth, the things that he said. He said, John, that Jesus said this, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the one thing what we have to do, just so don't we, we don't go off the deep end, because there's a lot of people, a lot of people have good encounters with God, and then they seem to go off the deep end. And I don't want to be one of those people. I don't want you to be one of those people. Always measure what's going on with what you, what you see in your environment, what's going on. Measure it against the Word of God. And that's what Peter was doing right here. He's saying, Jesus said this would happen. I'm looking at the results, and look, things are matching up here. It's making sense to me. All right? So always, always use the Word of God as your anchor to make sure that you don't stray off into a cult-like mentality or religious mentality or any kind of mentality for that matter. Use the Word of God to keep you anchored, to make sure that you don't Go in a wrong direction. So in verse 17, Peter says, "If So if God gave them the same gift that he gave us as Jews who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to do uh, to, to think that I could stand in God's way? Who was I, and I wish I would have underlined it in the overhead here, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? And remember, we start off the message today. Religion can stand in the way of you and God if you're not careful. And Peter was saying, I'm not going to be a religious person. I see results here. I'm standing back and let God have his way. Let God have his way. We need to do that. We all, we talked about this, I think, last week. We all have hang-ups. We all have hang-ups. Little things that just get in the way of us making progress spiritually, personally, and professionally. We have these hang-ups, and God's saying, it's time to start getting past your hang-ups. It's time to get past your hang-ups. Don't let those things get in the way of God. Verse 18, if I'm not mistaken, says, when they had heard this, they had no further objections, and praise God. Isn't this cool? This group of religious people Their hearts were turned around. They heard Peter's story, and this story ends good because he convinced them, he persuaded them that it was God. And their religiosity kind of, they they got the religiosity out of the way. They no further objections. They praise God. And then they said, so then even the Gentiles, God is granted repentance that leads to life. They were excited about it. And we look back, it's easy for us to look back on other people's situations and say, those bunch of bozos, couldn't they see that God loves everybody? (laughs) But we're that way too. We always seem to say, oh, God loves this kind of people, but I'm not sure about that kind of people. (laughs) And even ourselves, we say, God loves everybody else, but I'm not sure if he loves me. You know what? God loves everybody. He loves everybody. The Bible says God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son that whoever, 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 are you a whoever? Yeah, we're all whoever's. Whoever would believe in him would not perish, would not self-destruct, would not fall into addiction so deep that they can't get out. But he gave them eternal life, eternal life. I love that. So. I want to share with you just three indications this morning of a religious mindset, just so we can be aware of it and we can 
self-monitor. And, and I'm, I looked at this this week as part of my own devotional quiet time with the Lord to see, hey, do I have one of these mindsets? And I, I do. If I'm not careful, I do fall into one of these three things. So be self-aware this morning. Be, in, be look, look inside yourself. Be introspective and see if one of these things is a problem with you so that you can start fixing it with God's help. Three indicators of a religious mindset. The first one is that personal image, your personal image is more important than helping other people. <laughs> You're so caught up in how you look and what people think about you. Have you ever thought about this? You think about what people think about you. What a waste of time. <laughs> you think about what people think about you. That's a waste of time, and that's a religious mindset, is the external, the, the image that you portray to people, is, is making sure that they're happy with you. Guess what? You're never going to make everybody happy. There's always going to be somebody who doesn't think you're cool, you're smart, you're successful, that you're a good person. There's always going to be somebody that has an issue with you. So let's get used to that, and let's start worrying about other people's needs instead of our own personal image. Look at this in James. This is a book in the Bible, James 1, verse 27. I love this verse. It says, religion. Did you know the Bible actually uses the word religion? That's kind of interesting. But it says here, religion that God our Father accepts, in other words, good, pure, faultless religion is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. That's religion. Taking care of other people's needs instead of about worrying about the way you're perceived by others. That's religion in, their, in taking care of orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Well, that's kind of a broad one. And what is pollution from the world? You know, well, we could say drugs and abusing alcohol is certain being, certainly being polluted by the world. That's, that's not good. But there's a lot of other polluting factors of the world that we got to be on our guard in. Mine are different from yours, and yours are different from someone else's. So we all have our weaknesses, all right? But to be the religious kind of person that God is looking for is helping people and keeping yourself from being polluted in the world. I'll tell you, one of my biggest heroes that exhibits this more than anybody else that I know of in current and recent history is Mother Teresa. Unbelievable saint of God cared about people more than herself and certainly more than her image. And in doing so, portrayed an image to this world that probably the majority of the civilized world knows who Mother Teresa is. Why? She cared for orphans. <laughs> she was a different kind of person. God, let us be that way. God, help us to stop worrying about the way we look and start caring about what God thinks more than what people think. Matthew 23, verse 27, it says, Jesus, look at this. He's talking to religious leaders of his time. He says, woe to you. Woe is not like slow down, but no, you are in trouble is what this meant. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you religious leaders. He called them, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs that look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything uncleaned. What a slam to the religious people of that time. And I'm telling you, if, if Jesus told people, religious people that back then, he's even more so telling religious people that same thing today. 
That same thing today. Here's a second thing. I can't get too hung up here. Um, condemning. Here's a second indicator of a religious mindset. Condemning people instead of setting people free. Sitting there and being critical, having a critical spirit, always ripping someone up, always finding somebody's weakness and, and pinpointing and zooming in on people's weaknesses. But here in John 8, 11, we find Jesus. He just, this is a crazy story. This lady, I believe it was a sting operation, but she was caught in the act of adultery and the religious people of the time caught her in the act, of, pulled her out. I don't know what happened to the man. <laughs> it's shocking. But finds this lady in the act of adultery, pulls her out into the street, brings her in front of Jesus, throws her down at his feet, and says, the law, all right, here's the religious law says this lady needs capital punishment. That's what the Jews believed at that time, and it was. That's what the Old Testament basically said. And Jesus said, the first of you to be without fault, you, you go ahead and start killing her. You throw the first stone at her. But the very end of the story, everybody's left, and it's just Jesus and this lady. And Jesus says uh, to her, he says, he says, where are those that are condemning you? They're not here. She says, there, there's no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus says this to this lady who's just done something terrible. He says, I don't condemn you. But Jesus says this. He says, now go and leave your life of sin. Go and leave your life of sin. There's two folds. You know, a lot of people like to read the first part. Oh, Jesus doesn't condemn, and he doesn't. But he doesn't condemn so we can be free from the sin that was trapping us. So when Jesus goes to an addict, you know, and says, stop taking drugs, in that very statement, that very command, God is also freeing that person from the drugs. He's not just not condemning. He's saying, you're free to never do it again. See, we have freedom all messed up in this country. We say, I'm free. I can do anything I feel like doing. I'm free. That's not freedom. <laughs> you're not free to do anything you want to. You're free from the things that trap you. You're free to not do them ever again. That's freedom. That's freedom. You, you, you might be, you know, just... A critical person, let's use that as an example. God comes and says, you're free from criticism. You're free to never, ever have to criticize anybody ever again. Isn't that wonderful? So a religious mindset condemns people, but a relationship with Jesus type of mindset says, I set people free. I'm not going to try to make myself look better than they are. Here's the third one, just very quickly, is... Promoting good works over God's life-changing righteousness. And just bear with me. Hang with me just for a second on this one. We like to believe that if I do good, it makes me good. Do you get that? So we're going to the prison this Saturday. All right? We're going to go in there. We're going to do a lot of good works. We're going to help people. Now, I'm not going to walk out of there saying, I'm a better person than when I walked in because I did those good things. No, no, no. That's not how it works. Doing good things doesn't make me a better person. Only God makes me a better person. And see, when he makes me a better person, then I will do good things. It's first God puts his righteousness, his free gift of righteousness in me, and then I just start wanting to do good things for people because he's made me a better person. 
That's how it works. But the religious person says, no, 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 no. I'm going to do good things, and everybody is going to think that I'm a good person. In fact, I am going to be a good person. That's just not how it works. Look at Ephesians 2, uh, verses 8 through 10, debunks that myth right there. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So that no one can boast, no one can brag, no one can say, hey, look at me, I I made myself a better person. You can't, you can't do it. Only God can make you a better person. But then it goes on, and it's interesting, it follows that, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. But what happens first? God changes us. He makes us a better person. His righteousness makes us a better person. Romans 5.17 says, For if by the trespass of one man, that's Adam, way back when, Adam and Eve, death reigned through one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and his gift of righteousness reign in life? So we're an empty cup. All right, we can't fill ourselves with good things. We only fill ourselves with slop and bad stuff. So if we raise our empty cup and we say, Jesus, give me your free gift of righteousness, he will make you a righteous person and you'll be doing good things the rest of your life, not to make yourself feel better, but because you're God's child. You're doing good things because you have a good, good father, like we sang this morning. Love this verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 34, it says, Awake to righteousness and do not sin. (laughs) Awake to it. Say, I'm awake to God's righteousness, to his goodness in my life. And then he starts changing you into the person of your dreams. All right, in 60 seconds, I'm going to do this. Look at this. What does an unreligious Christian look like? And the rest of the chapter just... One after another after another. This is what an unreligious Christian looks like. I've bolded it and highlighted it here in the remaining verses. In verse, I believe it's 19, look, they spread the word to all people. They were spreading the word of Jesus everywhere. What does an unreligious Christian look like? They're out there just spreading the word, saying, hey, God has done so many good things. He's changed my life. He healed me. He's transformed me. You're spreading the good word. Here's another thing. The Lord's hand was with them. Have you ever known the presence of God just to be with you everywhere you go? God is with you. He's helping you. Hey, that's what an unreligious Christian looks like. People believed and turned to the Lord. That's what happens. An unreligious Christian just believes in God. I believe what you tell me is true. I believe you are who you are, who you say you are. And I also believe I am who you say I am, a child of God. I believe God. What else does an unreligious Christian look like? In verse 23, they were glad and encouraged. You're going to exit depression as you start serving the Lord, man. You're going to get away from all the sadness and regrets and everything. You're going to be a new person. You're going to be glad and encouraged. There in verse 24, it says, this man was a good man. You're going to be a good person. <laughs> You're going to be a good person because God makes you a good person, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with faith. And at the very end here in verse uh, 29, some words pop out at me. They provided help. Man, I tell you what, when God gets a hold of your life, you set your religion aside and you just focus on relationship, you are going to provide help to those around you. You're going to be a helpful person, a serving person. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Jesus, I thank you, God. 
for this this message, Lord. I thank you, God, for your word that very clearly distinguishes between religion and relationship with God. Lord, I, for one, I want relationship with Jesus. I don't care about my image, or I try not to care too much about my image. I don't care, Lord God, what people are thinking about me. Lord, I want to know what you think about me. I want to ask that question, Lord, what do you think about me? (laughs) And we should all be asking that question, Lord, what do you think about me? And the answer is a resounding, I love you. I think loving thoughts about you. I think I think prosperous thoughts about you. I think uh, a, a, a bright future for you. Those are the thoughts that God is thinking about us. Those condemning thoughts, those regretful thoughts, Lord, those, those even tragic thoughts that are in our past, Lord, those aren't the thoughts of God. Praise God. God, you're always looking forward, not backward. You're always looking to to promote us to the next level, to get to the next level, Lord, spiritually. Promoting, Lord, to the next level in, in, in our personal lives, Lord Jesus. Moving upward and onward. Those are the thoughts that God has for us. Lord, I pray that we'd start to scour the Bible and find what the thoughts of God are about us. Lord, why would Jesus have died if we're just going to be condemned all the time? If we're just going to be self-critical and critical of others, why would you have died, Jesus? No, you died to set us free from condemning and regretful thoughts. That's why Jesus came to save us from our own destructive selves, Lord Jesus, from self-destructive behavior. Oh, God, that's exciting to think that you're thinking good thoughts about us. Lord, so help us to exit our religious mindset of trying to earn our way into heaven and say, God, I want to come receive it as a free gift from you. 